This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's a new year, so we're going to be optimistic and start with things we like best about wine. Uh, Drinking it. Well, after that, I mean. Uh, Tasting it, sharing it with other people. Okay, besides this thing about putting it in your mouth, there's things about the wine world that we like in general. That's where we're starting. Uh, I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we'll get some of our wine raves, and later you'll get some of our wine rants. We have some truly horrible wine writing, lots of questions from listeners, and as usual, because this is what we do, we, we will make fun of wine stocks. <laughs> Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're starting off by seeing our wine glass half full. Shouldn't be half full. Should be like about a third full, Rick, because then when you swirl it, it won't spill all over you. I have a really big glass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Nobody wants to sit next to you anyway, so it doesn't the, really matter. Yeah, that's spilling. Right. Never it's mind spilling. that. All right. Well, uh, don't spill uh, or use a big glass. That's our <laughs> tip for the day. And, and now let's talk about some of the things going on in the wine world that we like because this is a new year and we're going to be optimistic and cheery no matter what reality really is. So, Paul, give me a good thing going on that you like. Well, I just love the fact that there's so many different wines coming out in different styles. I mean, you know, I can remember 15 years ago when you could count the varietals made in the United States basically on hands, you know, one hand, maybe two hands. And now we got all sorts of wild stuff coming out, lots of red blends, some sweet red wines, some Moscato. Uh, and from across the, the ocean, we're seeing wild things, you know, fer- dry ferment from Hungary, Franciacorta sparkling wine from Italy, all just, man, it's a it's a candy box. It, candy box, I like that. Well, that connects to uh, my happy thing, too, because... What a coincidence. Yeah, well, it's almost like we, you know, we planned a show or something, but it <laughs> It does connect to my thing. And that is that that not only are there lots of wines coming out, but so many people, and particularly young wine drinkers and new wine drinkers, yep. are not just going to the old standards. There's nothing wrong with right. a great Chardonnay, a great Cabernet, but people yep. are not saying that's the only thing I drink. And so they're they're trying things and then not just sticking with that one yep. thing. I, I call it actually the the apple approach because, you the know— The apple fruit or the apple computer? The apple computer. Because, you know, when I have a problem with my computer, I'm afraid to push the buttons. My kids have grown up with Macs. Something goes wrong, they push a button to see what happens. They walk into the wine shop, they pick a bottle to see what it's like. Yeah. It's a whole sort of experimental approach to life, and it's pretty cool to watch. Well, you know, my Apple approach is I, I basically Google the question before I push the button. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, that, it's, uh, that, that is actually very true, though, and, and, and I, I agree. I think it's a very good thing. You know, there is this thing, and I think it, it, it sort of is, I mean, you really nailed it, that it's, it might be generational, it might be older wine drinkers or more practiced wine drinkers maybe, is that for some reason that that folks who drink a lot of, you know, who, who have been drinking drink wine. drink a lot, would drink like a, you well, and me. Well, that, there's that too, and then you lose all perspective. <laughs> but the folks who have been drinking wine for a while, there's a sense of you, you keep want to go back to the, you don't want to waste that one, that shot, you know. If you're going out to dinner, it, the wine better be good. And uh-huh, I, I uh-huh. think so many newer wine drinkers are approaching wine the way they approach food. Hey, let's see what this is. Well, and it's funny because you and I both have been in the business long enough to know that years ago we fell in love with a certain kind of wine. We bought a bunch of that wine. We put it in our cellar, and we still have a bunch of it because we have moved on. We found other things that are more exciting, and that's the way life should be. I mean, we, you should be 
trying all this stuff and having fun with it. And yeah, I, I, I had fun with it when I'm young. I'm having fun with it now, and I can hardly wait to taste the next thing. When, when, when they ask me what wines I want to judge at the competitions I judge, I always tell them, give me the weird stuff. Well, it fits your personality, so <laughs> I, I say we, we go right with that. All right. Excellent. So uh, what's another happy thing for you? Well, it falls right into that, which is, I don't know if you know, but in the last couple of years, it has now been true that in the U.S., we make wine in all 50 states. Hmm? So, yeah. yes, admittedly pineapple wine in Hawaii. I've had some. Ed, which ain't bad. It's not, the sparkling is not bad at sparkling all. Sparkling yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Maui Blanc. Yeah. Um, Alaska, berry wine. There's a jalapeno pepper. I thought pep- it was salmon wine. No, 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 no. Come on now. Be nice. Um, <laughs> there's a jalapeno pepper wine from Wyoming. But the, f- the point is people are making wine all over the country. They're figuring new ways to grow grapes. And they're also making really interesting wines. And I just think it's wonderful. I think that it's one of the things that's going to get people enthusiastic about wine in this country is seeing their next-door neighbor make some wine. And it turns out tastes pretty good. I, I know my next-door neighbor, and I am not drinking his wine. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. All right. uh, you know, well, I can't help where you live. Yeah. <laughs> now, my happy thing is the craft beer movement. And, yeah, okay. and And because what it's doing is it's, it's bringing this notion of sort of what you were talking about earlier of experimenting with flavors to folks who are maybe a little timid, intimidated by wine or just you know, mm-hmm, don't want to mm-hmm. drink wine. But this yep. idea of drinking something that they like for different flavors and shades and tastes yep. and a little too hoppy for me in a lot of the craft well, beer and, movement. Well, and but, if you're going to go that way, then you got to include coffee as well. Because if there's one thing all those boutique coffee producers have done, it's it show kids as well as adults that you can have adventures in Indonesia or Saudi Arabia or Kona all through what's in your glass. Well, I'll uh, I'll, I'll take that as a sure. I'll include them in as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Not the the caramel cherry macchiato though. I'm largest milk customer in the world is Starbucks. They're Seriously, not, I did yeah, not know that. They're not selling coffee. They're selling milk with flavor added. Wow. That, yeah. that would explain the car, the Starbucks dairies down when you drive down the road. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. One more from you. Um, you know, the last one I want to throw in here uh, ties back to this younger generation, which is social media and the fact that people who like things are able to tell their friends about it quickly easily. So they don't need knuckleheads like us, They Tom. don't need any <laughs> middle-aged, and boy, and am I being generous with middle-aged. Hey, who are you calling old here? <laughs> <laughs> they don't need us clowns telling them what to drink. They're finding out what they like. They're enjoying it, and I think that's a great thing. Yeah, more voices is, a, is always a good thing in something like this. I, it, it's sort of true in the food world, and you know, the one thing that has yet Mostly, although there's a little of this, and this mm. is going to get back towards one of my little peeves. But um, you know, in the food world, one of the things that sort of changed with all these many voices is the Food Network is teaching people to be kind of nasty judges. You know, shows like Chopped and some right. others Health where the judge always and all of that. Stuff, and they always have where to the find, experts are mean, or at least they, there's always something wrong. And yeah. and I argue as a yeah. food writer too that food's not about perfection; it's about enjoyment. And that's yep. the same thing about wine. Yep. That has not yet gotten to wine. Mo- That's right. So all of those new vo- new voices are just, this is what I like. And I think it, it ends no, up being— No, it's the old voices that are telling you what right? you shouldn't drink. Isn't yes. that funny? Yeah, because they're crutchy old They're yeah. grouchy. Well, and here's my happy thing in the wine world, and that is our show. Really? Yes, because okay. we get to do it. We and get to do it, and we get to have fun doing it. We're going to save the world. Yeah. Unfortunately, my right. glass is not half full right now. Yes. My glass is pretty damn empty. So. Okay, so so maybe maybe we won't save the world, but I, <laughs> uh, you know, we are two more voices that wine doesn't have to be serious, that wine should be fun, that people should enjoy it. And, sure. And, and, and the massive... Enormous impact that we are, of course, having. Yes, our, a tidal my, wave. Yes, a tidal our, wave. Our, our wives won't even listen to us, but that's not even <laughs> the point. Uh, 
So I, I do think that, you know, I just think that 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 we are we we like being at least makes us feel like we're trying. So that's that's my happy thing too. Cool. So listen, I got a question for you. Um, we've been talking all this time about how great we are and what a wonderful show it is and how we're having this huge... Do we have any questions this week? We do have some questions. In fact, okay. that's where we're headed. Excellent. When we come back, we will be opening up the mailbag. You, This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us, and we have our questions coming right up. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to open that mailbag because Paul wants to. Yes. And we are taking some of your questions. If you'd like to ask a question that we can answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, or you can go to iTunes and find us. Subscribe for free. Make us feel good. Just click that little free button. That's right. And uh, and then send us some questions through there as well, I think. If not, go to our website. We will take your questions. All right. So if you're new to us, by the way, we should tell you very, very briefly why we are qualified to, to answer questions. Yeah, why questions. are you qualified, right? I um, have no idea. I have no idea either. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Well, I got that out of right. the way. Well, I'll tell you quickly. <laughs> Paul's a pro. He teaches. He works in the industry. He's all over. He was. He goes. He leads cruises to Germany down the Rhine. I'm jealous of the guy. but That was fun. Yeah. You know, that was see, fun. See, and he's not making it any easier on me. But yes, uh, he is. he's a pro. And you've written best-selling New York Times book about wine. Which is kind of cool, and someday I'll have to read that book you, so you can tell like me what it. it's no, all about. Seriously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And you get all your chops on Capital Public Radio, so yeah. The folks who uh, allow us, allow to, us record to record here, thank you very much, Capital Public Radio. Thank you Public very Radio. much. So what's the question? All right. Well, this, uh, this is from Lindsay Folk, who lives in Reno. Uh, I was just at a wedding, and the bartender kept pouring my wine glass to the brim. Speaking of glass half full. Yes. So this is her. What was with that, and how much should you pour into a glass? So, uh, Lindsay, I got to tell you, that is exactly what we call a wedding pour. Yes, and it that, is. That's a wine. That's a bartender <laughs> that doesn't want you coming back for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wants you to be happy, and he figures the easiest way for you to be happy is to fill the glass up. Um, who knows? It may be even that the caterer is getting paid a corkage fee or a bottle fee so that the more wine he pours, the more the caterer makes. All of that ties into that. And, of course, the bigger the catering bill, the more the tip for the server. So, the, But that's not the way you're supposed to pour wine. I mean, that's we, we do need to clarify that. Right. And and now, you know, we're about to sort of tell you there's sort of general percentages that we that people talk about. But we're talking about sort of standard sized wine glass and there is no standard sized wine right. glass. Right. But fundamentally, fundamentally, we sort of talk with reds to pour about. You know, we're talking a normal size sort of restaurant glass, about a third. Yeah, almost always for almost any glass. And you know, the glass that most glasses have, that I'm, I'm going to show he's you here showing on the us, radio. Yes, he's making so the, two, the, uh, the tulip, where the, the nice yeah, little bulb, bulb shaped glass. And of course, there's a fat part, and the fat part isn't at the top, it's down kind of close to the bottom. And the rule is unlike you, us who have been called fat heads, so our fat our part bulges is are at, at the top. top. Yeah, well, yeah. you pour up to the fat part of the glass, which yeah. is about, as you have pointed out, a third of the way up. Right, and, and that allows Nick Rick, as you're in the <laughs> as you're in the cocktail party, to jostle your elbow and still have hope that some wine might stay in the glass instead of flying across the room and landing on that lovely lady's silk blouse. Yes, and it also allows you to swirl your wine and, and not spill it. And by the way, if you are swirling it, 
put your glass on a table. We, you know, this is, <laughs> you, you, you know, and it, it's <laughs> even those of us in the business and we are dumb enough to walk around sometimes and swirl in our glass, and we always pay for it. You always pay sooner for later, it. Yes. sooner or later. Yes, sooner later, somebody gets wet. Yeah. Um. The the exception to that rule is a a, a sparkling flute, bubbly. Yeah, and that's generally considered two thirds full. But yeah. you're not swirling it. You don't need to swirl it because the bubbles are doing the work for you. That's right. That's right. But yes. a bartender who's pouring you a full glass. Be careful. The next thing is he may ask for your address or your phone number. <laughs> yes, not to me, not necessarily, <laughs> not but so yeah, I don't get that. Don't get that anymore. All right. Our, another question is from uh, Andavigo in Sacramento. Cool. I, I'm going to read this because it's a good question. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm a committed shard drinker, but these days I sometimes feel like the woman with the beehive hairdo. Oh, yeah. My sons and son-in-law are beer drinkers. My girlfriends drink mojitos, and my husband alternates between martinis and merlot. Are we white wine drinkers and endangered species? <laughs> well— I like the imagery, by the way. Uh, the beehive hairdo. And, um, and and what everybody else is drinking. It's, there's a party for you I right need there. to say that I know Anne. Uh, she was actually uh, a very good feature writer in Sacramento for a very long time. She still yeah. does some writing. She wrote, uh, I worked with her years ago at the Sacramento Union, back uh-huh, when the Sacramento uh-huh. Union was a newspaper. Uh, and so, of course, she's going to reach for an image. And and one of the reasons she was probably a good, a good writer was that she was in touch with the American public. And you know what? The American public drinks more Chardonnay than anything else. So somebody who says you shouldn't be drinking Chardonnay, tell them to go jump in a lake of Chardonnay. Yeah, I was I was going to uh, say it was because she has a beehive hairdo. but <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. No, maybe not. she does not, actually. And yeah, and that is the thing. And there is there is this thing, speaking of things we don't like in the world, uh, the wine world, this is our, our rants are coming a little bit later, by the way, our, our first of the year. We're just getting started. Yeah, I'll get us. Yeah, <laughs> boy, I'm telling you. Um which is this notion that it's uncool. Just, just as we were saying, there's all these great new wines to try and all these great new things out there. This notion that it's uncool to drink something that other that lots of people like. That and lots Chardonnay, of people like. Chardonnay is this right. wine that lots of people like. And there, there are these... There's too many people that they call it the ABC movement, which is anything but Chardonnay. Right. You know, I was at a uh, a party just the other day, and um, and there were you know lots of it's like everybody brought a bottle of wine. These folks made some home wine, and there was a table full of red, and yep. all the empty bodies, bottles were the Chardonnay. There you go. Yep. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's, yeah, it's pretty simple. And and um, you know, first of all, don't tell other people what they should be drinking. That's rule number one. Or maybe that's rule number two, because rule number one is... Wear dark colors. Drink. <laughs> no, rule number one is drink what you like. Yeah, and then wear dark colors. Drink so what spill. you like and tell other people to mind their own business. That's right. Although, and by the way, <laughs> if they do make you feel like you're uh, drinking, you know, the beehive, you're wearing the beehive, mojitos are so 1990s. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Excellent. All right, this is... Uh, uh, another a take on, uh, on differences, actually. It's from Susan Nguyen in Fremont. <laughs> this is Susan's email. I've heard your show, so I figure you guys can answer a question about immature men. <laughs> now, where would she get that idea? Thank you, Susan. You must know us. <laughs> My husband refuses to ask for help with a wine list or in a store, and sometimes he gets some pretty crummy wines. What can I tell him? Oh, man. Does well, he ask for direction? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, Susan, I'd start by telling him that as immature as we are, we still ask for directions. All the time. Yeah. You know, even wine pros need help with wine lists, particularly wine lists, because restaurants are constructed to always have something that's a little more difficult to find so that you'll feel like it's a special experience or, right. or that you won't know right. how much they charge in the stores. <laughs> and so, you know, 
even the pros need to ask for help, and it yep. never is a bad thing. And tell them, tell them that. Let's see, whichever works best. You can tell him that Rick and Paul ask for help when they go to a restaurant. And if that doesn't work, tell him Rick and Hal, Paul won't ask for help when they go to a restaurant. <laughs> gets, yeah, but, you know, there's something else going on here, I think. Because the other thing is, you know, here's, here's Susan. Her husband picks the wine. She's unhappy with the wine. She's mad at her husband. I know where you're going with this. Right? Yeah. So he turns to the sommelier and says, pick something that will make her happy. If it doesn't work, he's off the he's hook. He's off the hook. Hey, honey. We did what the sommelier said. He got it wrong. Can't blame me anymore. Well, see, I was going the other direction. I was going to say, he, your, Susan, your husband should say, honey, you pick the wine. Well, there's another option. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Yeah. That's right. That way, he is off the hook. And, and frankly, then she could ask for directions. Or she, you can just say, I'd like to choose the wine tonight. What yeah. husband would refuse uh, his wife? And frankly, you know, that's it really should be a team thing. You know, well, I was just going to say, how many times, Rick, have you and your wife gone out to dinner and you said without consulting your wife, this is what we're going to drink tonight? Absolutely never. Same here. <laughs> never. Same never. here. And never. It's part of yes. the show. No, yeah. There's no way on earth. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I Sometimes I have to ask her if it's okay if I come home with her to the restaurant. <laughs> I need, I need or did to... she want you to wait in the car? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I seriously need to check in sometimes. Huh. All right, I, Susan, I hope that's some help. Um, and that is it for questions for now. We'll have more in the second half of our show. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show or not answer, as you probably as just we, heard, as we just did, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And coming up, we've got some bad wine writing from people who should know a lot better. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, yes. Just because it's a new year, that doesn't mean some of the wine writing out there has gotten any better. So we are going to our regular feature that we call really horrible wine writing. And yeah. Paul and I are taking slightly different approaches at it today. So, uh, Paul, why don't you lay it on us? Well, I was reading a guy the other day who was writing about the fact that he was, he was writing about the wines and every one of the finishes he had timed. Now, finish on a wine is the aftertaste. So you swallow the wine, or if you're working a competition like we do sometimes, you spit the wine out, and then you sort of think about, okay, what's happening in my mouth after the wine is gone? Well, sure enough, this guy was standing there or sitting there with a stopwatch, and he was deciding how long the finish lasted before it was finally gone, and then he was entering that into his tasting notes. So each one of these wines had finish lasted seven seconds, finish lasted 19 seconds. I'm sorry. If you think that's entertaining or interesting to me, boy, are you barking up the wrong tree. Not to mention just how anal retentive that is. <laughs> Stopwatch. I just, I don't. Stopwatch. And it wasn't like, you know, many I... seconds. It wasn't like, you know, 10 to 20 seconds. It was 13, 17. This guy may be a nice person. He may have a, a great palate. His he may... dad was a track coach. I just, well, hey, wait, you're talking to a track coach. <laughs> I just want to say, however, that I, I, would like to make it one of my sort of life goals to never taste wine with a guy with a stopwatch. <laughs> <laughs> there are some other things you want to do with somebody with a stopwatch. Yeah, well, there's that too, but yes. No wine tasting with a stopwatch. All right, mine's the other direction, and this was, you know, we went through the holidays and, you know, all those websites that send out um, uh, gift, potential gift wines. And, Opportunity you know. to give someone the gift of a lifetime a wine this guy just made. Yes. Oh, yes. Or all sorts of things. Or, or a... Uh, 
you know, a, a, a hugely rated whatever it was. Right. And I'm always right. curious how they sell these wines. It's always clicking around. And, and, um, and there was a handful of these sorts of things where to describe the wine, they allowed the winery to describe it. So Perfect. this was one of them from the winery. And I'm, I'm already leaving out all the part where the winery described what it looked like. The color and the density and the brightness. Wait, I'm guessing it was a red wine or a white wine. It was one of those. Okay. So I don't, And let's see if you know what it is. <clears throat> The wine starts with more tea and tobacco. And, and by the way, um, you, you, you hang in here. <laughs> the wine starts with more tea and tobacco at first, but it opens up. The big, dark cocoa notes rise. Hints of eucalyptus, black cherry, plum, and violet add a complex layer to the nose. The blackberry, dry cherry, roasted tea, and medium, medium and dark chocolate are dominant on the palate. The combination of French and American oaks adds vanilla, toast, toffee notes. Then the eucalyptus and violet linger on the end. The finish lasts forever with a wonderfully cherry pie, black pie. Character enjoys slightly chilled. He doesn't say how many seconds the finish lasted. I think the review lasted 17 to 20 <laughs> seconds. Um, I also like to enjoy Slightly Chilled. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's a red wine. It is a red wine. Okay, I got that part. Yeah. I can narrow it down now. Um, eucalyptus says to me that it was fruit grown near eucalyptus trees. Doesn't tell you anything about the grapes. Just no. tells you it probably no. grown near eucalyptus trees. Okay, you got tea, tobacco, cocoa, uh, two kinds of chocolate, cherry, blackberry, um, I love medium and dark chocolate. I know I love that too. So yeah. I'm sorry. Why okay. not just chocolate? Even if Why you have just to go chocolate? that way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, toffee. I'm gonna guess cab. It is. It's a cab. You know, you gotta like that thing too. It's the it's the black blackberry, dried cherry, roasted tea, medium and dark chocolate are dominant on the palate. So those are like these wildly like the different four flavors. Horse, four horsemen of the apocalypse yes. because they are all dominant. Yes, they're all dominant. And you know, this is and and you read all that, you have no idea actually if it the wine's any good or if it's big right. or it's light or it's dark. All right. this, this guy's just went through a list of his flavor list. Wow. Cherry black Enjoy pie. slightly chilled. Actually that's Enjoy the only slightly chilled. Yeah. <laughs> That's, well, he's just saying that because most people serve their red wines too yeah, warm. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. That might be the one actually slightly decent bit of advice there. Okay. All and right. You, you want to know? I still want to know how long the finish was. How many seconds? Doesn't uh, say. Yeah, yeah. No All stopwatch. that information doesn't, doesn't no, you stop no, by like the, the timing. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> You're listening to Bob Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll talk about a few things in the wild where we are not happy about when we come Stop back. Stopwatches. Stopwatches is one of them. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. By the way, look for us on iTunes, and you can subscribe so easily with just a quick click. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about some of the things we like in the wine world because we were seeing the glass half full, even though we're only pouring one-third full, as we've already said. That's right. Now we're seeing the glass mostly empty. We're talking about a few things that we don't like, and we just want you to know we're doing that because we are not just a couple of happy idiots. Well, now, wait a minute. Speak for yourself. I mean, I'm happy. Well... I was just thinking of myself as a regular idiot, actually. So, <laughs> all right, and you are you are you are completely a happy idiot I am sometimes. Happy idiot. Yes, That's all right. right. Well, some of the things that we don't like, and and I I'm going to start. You want to start? If I might. Okay. I would because uh, over over the holidays I took some friends tasting, and we were in a tasting room, and there was a guy, and he was with his wife, and he wouldn't taste the Chardonnay. She's going, "Honey, taste the Chardonnay," uh -huh, and he wouldn't uh -huh. he wouldn't do it, and and he says, "I don't drink Chardonnay." Ooh. And for the record, I want to say the guy was way overdressed. 
It was yeah. a tasting room. Well, first was, of all, and he's he's not doing what his wife wants, which means he's about to be divorced. Well, if she's lucky. <laughs> but, you know, if uh, I'm just saying, when you overdress to go wine tasting in the foothills on a rainy day, yeah, um, really, yeah. You're, you're just, you're, you know, you're showing off. But it's that ABC thing that drives me nuts. We were talking about that a little bit earlier in the show, which right. is anything but Chardonnay and you're too cool. Too and of cool. all the places, of all the places when you should try something, it's in a tasting room. That's right. It's free. It's free. Or, you know, you've already paid for the tasting, whatever and it is. you've got to figure they're done. either giving you their best shot or what the heck, at least if you don't like it, you can ask them why and learn something. Right. And, you know, and it's not, It's it could be, and his even if he said, you know, I usually don't like Chardonnay or I don't like Chardonnay, right. but he's said, I don't drink Chardonnay. That's right. And that's, that's the, the kind of man he is. That's the kind of man he is. And frankly, what it is, is real men do drink Chardonnay and they <laughs> taste what their wives <laughs> tell them to. All right. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We've been talking about some of our rants and some of our rays. We're back with some more rants. Uh, so, Paul, what's yours? Well, I'm going to say something I'm unhappy about is this new movie, Psalm. Of course, it's not that new. It's been out for a while. But the idea— Yeah, but I know how it is when you wait for it to come—you don't want to pay for the—in this theater. That's so right. You I rate, keep waiting. Yeah, 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 cheap yeah, yeah. rental, That's and then right. yeah, it's on HBO. Now, the, you know, the problem is I love the fact that it's got a whole generation of young people excited about being a sommelier, but they seem to think— that being a sommelier is all about tasting a wine completely blind and saying this is clearly the 1934 Chateau Brenner de Cru. And it couldn't be further from the truth. The real job of a sommelier, the only job a sommelier has, make your customer happy. And you know, I, I have a bunch of friends who are master sommeliers. They don't have that attitude. But I see a lot of these young people getting into the business. They see the film, and they want to be the gunslinger, the wine-tasting gunslinger that can identify a wine faster than any of the older guys. And you know what? It's not what the job's about. It's not the job. It's just an expression of wine snobism as a different in a different way. Yeah, and it, I, I completely agree. You know, I actually I did a I did a story uh, not so long ago about a group in Sacramento here, um, <laughs> and there's like there's six of them, and they are six of the nicest people on the planet. And yep. about three of them really got what a psalm's job is. You right. know, which is they are they're all of these are all working psalmiers at some level, and and their job is really to make wine approachable, um, to try to do you know, just to try to, to help people have a good dinner at their restaurant. Right. And they were and they were doing they were going through this. They're in a tasting group and they're going through it in part for the sport of it. Right. Um, and then the other the others were were same thing. I mean they sort of got it, but the problem is that in going through this, they were it was almost clouding their judgment of how it is that everybody else looks at wine. Yes. Yeah. Nobody yeah. is nobody is talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about I, I I'm going to guess that of the millions and millions of people who <laughs> went to dinner in 2014 in That's the United right. States in a restaurant, not one of them, not one of them picked up the glass and said Oh, look at the secondary color. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, the things yeah. That, that. These are the guys who, as I say, nobody's ever walked into a wine shop and said, Do you have any wines made from calcareous soils? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> guys, take them, hit yeah. the reset button on all that stuff. And and so that's part of the problem is the. It's sometimes, you know, it is the, the great gift that, um, whether it's a good critic, and it could be a, a theater critic or sure. a, you know, a television critic, great television critic, I used to know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I bet. I, I used to be a television critic. I don't mind. I bet. On the yeah. story. But, you know, whatever, whatever the whether it's the criticism or a great artist or whatever, it's, it's the ability to sort of see all of the pieces of the thing, but then to see it whole. 
Right. And and to right. be able to say this is what makes this wine delicious. This is why this wine is interesting. It's why it's fun and why it's going to make you happy. Yep. And that's yep. you're right. You're absolutely right. And the problem is this notion of being a gunslinger and it becomes a competition with each other. Right. And has nothing to do with what the world of wine that we really— Or actually what they're paid to do in the restaurant, which is why it's so crazy. Right. So I know in my classes I got guys who are showing up for these classes because they want to learn all the tricks so that they can really nail these wines. And I keep thinking, you know, the most important thing you can do is you see that nice older couple over there. They'd really like to, like to have a nice bottle of bubbly, and could you just pour it for them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all you got to do. Absolutely right. And 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 their customers, even their somewhat sophisticated wine customers, are are, are much more interested in the wine tasting good. Right. It's, you know, it's really that's it's right. really just that. then the number of seconds in the finish. Yes, then the number. That's absolutely right. <laughs> so I'll bet you got another one. Here. I do, and it is um it is it's something that burns because I have a particular fondness for the valley in which you live, which is Napa Valley. Oh yes. And there is this. Thing among a, a certain class of wine writers that if it's from Napa, it must be bad. It, right. You know, it, that there's something that as if somehow Napa is broken. And it is exactly parallel in a way to what we we're talking about with the Psalms versus their diners, which is that there's a reason why Napa Valley is crowded. There's a reason why now, in some cases, overpriced wines. But but there's a reason why people can command the price Well, there's price a reason people do. pay those prices right. because they know they can expect the quality. Exactly. That, and, and that is the point. It's and, all and, part of the show. And I have to say, every time I go to that valley, in no other reason because it's so beautiful yes. that I don't want to leave. Yep. And it's, you know, and so there's good uh, Contrary wine to the people who live there who do want me to leave. Yes. Want to leave. <laughs> I was wondering why you know, I come over that bridge. Those signs I'm, I, they're holding up over there. I'm head. driving up Highway 20 and it says, Rick, go home. Rick, go home, Rick. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> yep. But it's, you know, it well, is, there, it's uh, an easy thing for them to do. As a critic, you know that there is absolutely no fame and fortune in telling people that a Disney movie is a good movie to take their kids to because everybody knows that and there's no chance for you to show off how really brilliant you are. Despite but, the fact that's their job, of course. But pick some movie, you know, made by a Korean director based in Peru on the great story of the Afghanistani local hero and it's never going to show up in any theaters and that's where the critic can really show off because nobody else has any idea what they're talking about. Right. And and the truth of it, of course, is that a, a really good critic, as we were saying just a little earlier about deconstructing a, a glass of wine, is really good critic's job is to is to be able to take something that is it could even be very common like a supermarket Chardonnay, because I'm going to get to that in a second, Ooh. and and describe it to you, to, sure. to us, the, the 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 reader, the listener, the drinker, sure. whatever it is. You know, that's what they should be doing instead of saying, "I'm too good for this." Yep. All right, I bet you, I bet you got another rant up your sleeve. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole idea of blind tasting. I mean, I just think it's funny that we play this game. That, that this, it's really this sort of parlor game. You know, this social competition that people can taste wine blind and identify it absolutely spot on. And I will just say, you know, when when I had thirty wines in my cellar, my wife and I used to play this game. And she'd pull out a bottle, and what the heck? I was pretty good. Cause I got because they're wines you knew because they you knew a, the wine. I knew which wines they were, and there were only thirty of them. Right, right. now I got. 1,500 wines in my cellar? I have no idea what I'm drinking. When I judge at the Concours Mundial de Bruxelles, which is the big European wine competition, 250 of the supposed greatest wine tasters on the planet. Plus you. Plus me. Thank you. Have you been invited, Rick? I, I can't remember. No, that's right. You weren't invited. Okay, yeah, well, good. <laughs> they, they know I'd make them look bad. Well, we sit there, and they give us 10, 15 wines. 
we taste through the wines, and they are completely blind. We don't know anything except what color they are. What do you think judges do at the end of that? Of course, try to guess what they, they are. They all right? turn to each other and say, I don't know what that was. Yeah, what do you think yeah, that was? Yeah. I don't know. You want to take a guess? Yeah. And we always guess, and we're almost always wrong. I mean, I, I have kept score for the years I've judged at the Concours Mundial, and in general, the judges get it right about 15 to 20% of the time. And that's just general varietal and country. Right. Which means 80% of the time we're wrong. This whole idea that there are people who taste wine all the time and immediately know what it is, sorry, it's a fantasy. Yeah, and, and connecting back, by the way, to talking about Psalm. Uh, so, right. for one, if anybody saw that movie, they saw how difficult it was to do that, even for right. these guys. And what they are tasting is, at least in theory, varietally on-point wines. Of course. So, right. think about it as if um, you're, t you know, it's a piece of, well— it's not really a good example, but, you know, a piece of beef without any sauce, without any, you know, it's just you're and it's cooked simply enough. And, and you. Right. And then so you're asked to say, is this beef or pork? And right. the answer is, yeah, you can probably tell beef. From but pork. if you put a cherry sauce on there and you kind of roasted it and, you know, it it's becomes a lot more difficult to figure that out. And so this is. Right. And, and the truth of it is that the while on the one hand and the idea is that the Psalms are supposed to know the differences in regions right. and things and all of that. Yes, it matters. But this is, I, I completely agree. The idea, it's fun. It's a fun game. I like doing it. I love playing it. Guess okay, the wine. So we should do that sometime on the show. I'll bring a bottle of wine. You bring a bottle of wine. We won't tell each other what it is, and we'll make each other go through the exercise. And what do you want to bet we both are wrong? I like that. Okay. I like that. Because the other part of this is it works really well if you tell me that there are, as there were in the grand old days of the wine business, there were only about six or eight wines. You had Burgundy, Bordeaux. You had Hock, which was Riesling from Germany. You had White Burgundy, Chardonnay. You had Chateauneuf de Pop and maybe Port and Sherry. Those were what English people drank. And so the, the question was, can you identify those wines? And, of course, the, the answer is no, you couldn't. Uh, some of my favorite stories are about wine experts who couldn't do that and readily admitted it. But these days, I have had really good Pinot Noir from the Balearic Islands in the Mediterranean. I don't even know where those are. I've had Chenin Blanc from Peru. I mean, you start throwing all this stuff together, and people who say, oh, I can always guess the wine, they're not want drinking wines from enough different places. Yeah, 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 that's probably true. All right, uh, I have a beef. Or is it it's, pork? No, it's a beef because sure it's got it's, no sauce on no it. No sauce. My okay. beef is, it comes with no sauce. Straight beef. And it is that, speaking sort of of critics and reviewers, is that yep. they never actually ever write about the wines that most people drink, which is all those sort of mainline wines you in, mean, in, in the supermarkets. You mean 8 to $20 and available in a supermarket. Right. The ones that, that, that people actually want to know about. The ones that like 80% of the wine sales in the U.S. are. Right. And they're trying to decide which one is which. Which which of those supermarket Chardonnays is rich? Which of those supermarket Chardonnays is light? Right. Which of those supermarket Pinot Noirs is light or has more yep. dark fruit? Something simple that they, they would love a guide help them out. Yes. But, but like you said earlier, it doesn't. It's the Disney movie part of it. Is that's right. If you tell them this is a Disney movie for younger children, not older children, that's not going to get you. You're not winning any writing awards. You're not going to show off. But you're off. doing your you job. Can't show off. They don't do that. Yeah, that's my complaint. Yep. Do your job. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough ranting for now. No, but I still got had, one more. You got one more rant? I well, got one oh, more rant. Right, because I started with the rant. Because you started, I get to finish. All right. So my, my rant big... is that you get to finish. <laughs> and my rant is, worst thing to happen in wine in the last year, this show. 
Well, fair enough. Right? Wine used to be so civilized, so respectable. And they let people like and us talk about it. And now they look at who they got involved in it this is, stuff. What has happened to the wine world? Hell in a handbasket. It is. That's all I'm going to tell you. There it goes. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> and what you are listening to is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Hell in a handbasket right here. When we come back, we've got more questions from listeners. And what, next week, it could be you. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We're coming back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, we'll try to answer it, and we'll give you credit for asking anyway. Go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Our first comes from a friend of mine named Jen Clemens, a teacher, a co-teacher with my wife. And this is uh, a good question because— Because uh, she's a friend I, of your wife, and you'd better say that. Yeah, I better. Well, it is a good question. Okay, it was good. this. I was just in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Why do the Sauvignon Blancs taste so different there from the ones here? And they all kind of taste the same with each other, but in California, every Sauvignon Blanc seems to be different. Oh. That's a good question, Jen. That's a great question. So you got two things that really contribute to the flavor of wine. Once you start with the kind of grape it is, you got the fact that the climate and the soil there do have its influence, and then you got the fact that there's a culture around that wine. And in New Zealand, they have the kind of vineyards that will produce that really bright, lively, aromatic, um, citrusy, cat pee kind of Sauvignon Blanc that I love. Yeah, and, and I know lots of people hate that descriptor cat pee, but yeah, it really is sorry. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other half of it is you got a generation of winemakers who grew up thinking that's what Sauvignon Blanc ought to taste like, and they're going to do their dangness to get that wine to taste exactly that way. Right, and you know, I, when I, I do classes uh, uh, or various sorts of things and comparative tastings, and often they are... Do they let you have sharp things in the classes you No, do, right? somebody else has to open the bottles. <laughs> they won't actually give me a tool or a pointer. I won't give me a pointer. Um, but so a lot of times we'll do these comparative tastings, and the idea is sort of to pick out the wines that you like or that right. you don't like, so you, next time you're out and about. You got an idea. You got an idea. And one of the things that I always say, if there's almost any class of wine on the planet that is reliable in its style, it's, it's New yeah. Zealand marble yeah, Sauvignon yeah, yeah. Blancs. Absolutely. So if you like Absolutely. one, you know you like them all. Yep. They're going to be different in quality, yep. and if you don't like them, then you know you don't you like them. You know that, too. So, Jen, yep. that's it. And, and yep. why is it in California... So many Climates different. are different. We we go everywhere different from Central approaches. Valley to very cold. But you also have winemakers who some say I'm trying to make it in a French style. Some like the Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Others are saying we got to find our own style in California, so they make it their own style. Lots of different. I mean, don't Robert Mondavi, the great innovator, actually changed the name of the wine and called it Fumé, Fumé Blanc, Blanc because right? he said I can't sell Sauvignon Blanc in this country. Yeah, and he put it with and a little bit of oak. And if he couldn't sell it, nobody could sell it. That's I'll right. say that. And so he put a little bit of oak. Sometimes there's oak. Sometimes yep. there's not, although yep. generally when you see Fumé Blanc, generally it's got oak on it, but not yep. always. That's right. Um, so uh, the and of course they're just trying to keep it confused. That's the other thing, Jen. Yep. But just, the good they, news is yeah. kiwis very predictable. Absolutely, you know, it's a it's a safe bet, yep. and it's good wine. So at least you learn something. All right, the next one comes from Bill Childers in Eldorado Hills. It's mm-hmm. a good question too. I can't fathom why there's such a huge spread in wine prices. Look at some wines that get 90 points, and the spread among those can be more than $100 between them. Yeah. So that's a—you know, we've done a story on—a show on this. We should probably do another one again talking about the costs of wine. Right. But there's so many forces at work, everything from marketing. Well, I remember I had a great conversation with a guy who was one of the leading uh, professors of marketing in France. 
And one of his students came up to him while we were talking and said, you know, we're, we're looking to establish a price point for this wine and handed the guy a glass and said, would you taste this wine? And then handed me a glass and would you taste the wine? So we're tasting the wine. And the student says, so how much should we sell it for? And the French guy, Pascal, did a, he had a great answer. He said, how much did you make? Because he said, if you only made 100 cases, you can price it anywhere you want. Sure, doesn't matter. 100 you'll, you'll, cases, how hard yeah. is it going to be to sell yeah. 100 cases over the course of a year? If you sold a million cases, you better price it under $10 a bottle because nobody sells a million cases of anything over $10 a bottle. So a lot of pricing just has to do with how much you made, how much you got to sell. Right. And that's part of the marketing, and exclusivity adds to the add, adds to the price. And, and sometimes it's the quality of the grapes and the winemaking and all those things in between. Yep. But there's just there's so many forces at work, and sometimes if it's from, and we talked about this earlier, the truth that it is, if it's from a region like Napa, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can charge more than if it's from a region that nobody knows. It's, right. it's just no, right. people are going to roll at, their eyes at and it. And at the same time, it is rare to find a wine from Napa that isn't stylistically effectively commercially well made. You don't you don't have many lemons in Napa. Right. But it's you know And it, partly you, because you can't survive if you are a right. semi lemon in, in Napa. Now now having said all of that, you know, one of the things if we want to get on rants, are we done with our rants? We are never done with rants. Okay, because one of the rants I would world. say is that Americans in general think that when it comes to wine you get what you pay for. True. That's and true. I would have to say that in my experience in the world of wine, if you take six wines of completely and wildly divergent prices and you give them in six glasses in front of consumers, whether or not they're going to like the best wine, the most expensive wine, and think it's the best, it's pretty much a crapshoot. Yeah. yeah pretty yeah, much yeah. a crapshoot. Now, yeah. that implies that the only thing you're buying when you're buying a bottle of wine is a flavor in the glass. Because if you can sit there and tell them that the Duchess of Windsor made this wine with her boyfriend when they eloped to France during the great romantic story of the 1930s, heck, I'm willing to pay extra for that wine just for the sheer fun of it. Uh, well, okay. And as you yourself said uh, on another show we did earlier, when I asked the question, is an expensive wine worth it? Yes. You said yes. And that is yes. because knowing it's expensive actually kind of lights up the pleasure centers. Oh, it lights yeah. up the pleasure centers yeah. and, boy, gets you ready for a remarkable experience, which yeah. wine should provide. So, Bill, the reason is uh, there are many reasons. And, and it, it, it is – there probably, though, if you, if you bring it up, there's probably no, no product, no commercial product – on earth that has does have such a broad spread in price so let's give bill with some, quality let's give some bill some practical advice if he finds a wine that he loves and it's inexpensive buy it yep. drink it be happy yep oh yeah unless unless it's for a gift because then he's got to spring for at least 15, 20 bucks or people uh, are going to think he's cheap. Unless it's some really obscure wine. They don't know where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have I have a friend who, who I've mentioned this before. I have a friend who loves, absolutely loves the two ninety nine Sauvignon Blanc at Trader Joe's. Right. Loves it. She lives for it. It's her favorite style. God bless Favorite her. wine. She's tried other ones that cost three times, five times, yep. ten times, which yep. still actually is not much. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and this is her wine. She is one lucky woman. Yeah. She's a lucky yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, one more. This is from Katie Madden from Fresno, and we are starting to get a following down there. Cool. Although I, it may also be that my wife is forcing her friends to listen to us. Okay. So that's a loyal well, So this is hers. I was, at a party. Yeah, I was at a party, and one guy was holding his glass the entire time by the flat base. Oh, yeah. Is there a reason for that? Should I be careful not to hold it and get it too warm? Okay. So, Katie, yeah, there is a reason why the guy was doing that, because he's a tool. 
<laughs> oh, come on now. He was trying to look good. I, yeah. I am guessing he was wearing an ascot. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I can see him, yeah. yeah. And fake hair, maybe? It could very well be. Yeah. 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 yeah, so there is, however, hidden in that question a legitimate point, which is when you are drinking particularly white wines that are cold and your glass is pretty cold and you hold them in your hot little hands, you cradle that bowl like you're trying to hatch an egg in it, the wine warms up too fast, that, and it's too warm to drink, and that's not good. But, but, that's but, holding, what stems, it by, but holding it by the stem is totally fine. That's what stems are for. Right. You don't, you don't need, the need to hold it for the, by the base. Right. Right. The base is because you want to look like you're a guy who would wear an ascot. That's right, with fake hair. Yeah. And, you know, which is to say sometimes people don't get handed a glass of wine, and you sort of grab it by that. and it's. But if somebody walks around the entire party like that, which is, it sounds like uh, Katie's guy was doing... I think we need a video. No reason. No we reason. Video there is no that. reason for that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that is that we is. We need uh, video. You know, and there's, I mean, there's a handful of those. I'm the cool wine guy, and you're not kind right. of motions that that right. they go through. Now, you really want to know how to be a cool wine guy? Learn to spit accurately. That pays off way more than any of this other stuff. The, when we're talking about your wine, by the way, <laughs> spitting your wine accurately. <laughs> yes, this is that is, that is important. You can use it at a party yeah. for other reasons. It is true, and there is within within the wine industry there are these you know the sort of renowned <laughs> great spitters. Um, and the truth of it is, the truth of it is, you know, if you are out wine tasting or something like that, like my guy at the my yeah. knucklehead guy who wouldn't drink the Chardonnay, you should be spitting. The cool the. The cool people really are the guys that the people, boys and girls, who spit because, frankly, what you're saying is I'm responsible. That's right. And uh, nothing yep. wrong with that. And yep. so that's in my yeah. wine classes when we start, I give everybody a one liter bottle of water and we go out in the parking lot, and I just make them practice taking a swig full of water, See, spitting it out in the parking. You know, lot. just because we've had some rain, California still is going through a drought. You should <laughs> take them over to the lawn. Well, fair Instead enough. Of the parking fair lot. Enough. I'm just saying, put them on the lawn <laughs> and and uh, and help water the lawn. Help water the lawn while we're doing <laughs> yeah. the spitting test. And you know, uh, we, we speaking about the good things in the wine world. This recent rain we've got probably should have been one of them, but um, that would that would imply that we have some awareness of the actual how agriculture works. Hey, and, hey, and it's rain is good. Rain is it. good. All right, uh, you are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Coming up, we have a food and wine pairing for you. We will be right back. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We tend to close our shows with food and wine pairings because uh, you're probably hungry and thirsty after listening to us. I am. Well, you, actually, many people after they listen to us talk need to drink. Need something, to drink. So they need to drink. Well, but you know, it's early in the year. We are. Um, we uh, we're trying to stay healthy. We okay. know. We know. Lots of people have have fashioned diets, Good. and and they're eating salads. Excellent. And you know, a, uh, a bright vinaigrette is not an easy thing to. Uh, no, to, because to it has vinegar, and vinegar, vinegar can make wine taste like vinegar. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what do you got? I go for fino sherry. Ch- serve it very chilled. It's already. It's need got, to explain what a fino sherry. Fino is. sherry is a bright, light, dry wine from southern Spain, slightly higher in alcohol, uh, very crisp, um, and it works perfectly with with salads because it's already a little oxidized. It has a little more flavor in it. I think it works just great. Yeah. Just make sure that the the salad is a savory salad and not one of these concoctions with pears and apples and apricots and 
pomegranates and yeah the sweet and the sweet and the vinegar actually become a more difficult wine that's period harder and to actually do. when you get a sweet and a vinegar i would vinaigrette probably a sparkling wine is is a nice pairing because it can handle yep. all of those flavors but yep. if it's just the vinaigrette one of my favorite pairings is a really nice bright dry rosé sure especially if it's got a little bit of snap in it it's um it's yep. a really nice pairing and it does it just does all kinds of fun things in fact you know I'm going to go sideways because it's what I do. You? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> rosé, such an undervalued. I mean, it's it, it, speaking of to, to Bill Childers' earlier question. Um, it's an underpriced wine, but it's also right. sort of undervalued by wine drinkers because it goes with so many foods. Yep. You know, and and it and for by the way, if we're going to go uh, on the uh, we're we're drinking light, it's a healthy time of and the year. When Prince Rainier married Princess Grace, they had rosé champagne at their wedding. And if you need any more permission than that, you're in the wrong business. Anything that Prince Prince Rainier did to get Princess Grace, absolutely, yeah, and can't be more stylish than that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, never mind the fact that he was a prince. The thing that probably attracted her was the fact that the man the rose. could could pour could a good a rose. rose. He had he had the uh, he had the wherewithal <laughs> to do right. a, to do a good rose. Man enough to drink pink. Yeah, but it is. It's a great thing, and we need to do a pink show soon. Is what we yep. need to do because um, it is. Yep. Uh, don't be afraid of pink. You know, and there are some some overly sweet pink wines. I say uh, it's easy to find them, and you know, you're one of the guys is often going to be if it's a French rosé, you know, <laughs> it'll probably be dry, or almost many, most European rosés, Italian as well. Within in California and the U.S. in, in general, it's, it's sometimes you need to taste it to know. Yeah, uh, but and, generally, more expensive is drier. Right, that's right. true. Yep. All right. Well, that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Vicini. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, rickandpaulwine.com, or look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just a click. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's don't be the tool wearing an ascot and holding the wine glass by the base. No one is impressed. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.